You're listening to Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. That's myself, Jamie Dodd. It's my regular co-host on Canucks Talk, Thomas Strantz. It's Halford and Bruff. It's a Canucks Talk takeover of Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650 this morning. No Halford, no Bruff. But still a sense of Christmas spirit. Yes. Bruff is absconded to Aruba. Nice. Good for him. Yes. He. You know what? You know what? I, I would if I could. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to be. Um. I don't mean to stunt on Bruff on his own program. No. We, but he we needs encourage it. it. But Please he. Do. But he needs it. He needs the time <laughs> off. He needs. He needs a, some vacation time in Aruba. So. Transfer, I give you permission while you're here to make as much fun of him as you possibly can. <laughs> Don't hold back. Whatever you want to say, think of this as therapy. Well, now that I have your permission. <laughs> it's like I, was gonna, I had a list. I was going to do it anyways. I may just do so. No, uh, no Halford, no Bruff. So we're, we're, and we're not doing their show, right? We're doing. No, we are. Oh, oh this, we are. This is still, this is still Halford and Bruff. <laughs> this is still Halford and Bruff. So we're not doing we Canucks got, talk in the morning. If you're watching on the stream, we've got the Halford and Bruff logo. Yes. I confirm that. Which I, by the way, clearly am not. <laughs> I'm in the room, but whatever. It has a Canucks bent. It's worth noting this is going to be podcasted and replayed as Canucks talk later in the yes. day today and tomorrow. So it's basically like a hybrid. It's two shows at once. This is the Mule episode of Halford So and we're going to do all of the Halford and Bruff stuff. Okay. And then it's going to, but it's going to be a lot of Canucks talk. Because <laughs> it's going to be a repackage. I feel like we should have told Drance this yesterday. We're just telling no, him on the it's fly. Fine. So this is how the show is going to be today. I, Listen, I, I'm sure you guys did tell me. I this just is, don't pay No, attention. I think I checked with Barra. I checked with our boss. I was like, wait, so are we doing our show or their show? And he was like, oh, their show. And I was like, okay, cool. But then I forgot to relay that information. Now, it's worth you. noting on Friday, you do have football guests and you've got like uh, the Moj. But of course, you could just talk about the food with the Moj. Yes. You don't even have to talk about football with him. I, he doesn't look, care. I just the, thought you guys wanted my best effort, but now I realize that I can be lazy and, and just use you can half whatever. of my butt. We run a we run a tight ship well, on no, Canucks I, Talk. I, I, <laughs> Clearly. I'm now going to I'm now going to approach this program uh, with the spirit that Halford and Bruff do. And <laughs> so I'm gonna put it in cruise control. Yeah, fifty percent uh, <laughs> at most. Yeah. I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. <laughs> and we'll be good to go. Uh of course you hear Andy Cole, the A Dog, and uh I don't know if Balak has chimed in yet or not, but Greg Balak is here. Laddie. So we got half oh, the hi. show. Hey, guys. Half the show. <laughs> you got the best half. Yes. The best half of the show is here still to keep us in line. Um, big show coming up. Oh, I got to do some reads here before we go. Before we go any farther, the official automotive sponsor of Halford & Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers experience the Delari difference today. Also, and, probably should mention, because people keep texting in, today, tomorrow, and possibly Friday, yeah. the first hour of the show is not happening. So the show is yes. going to go from 7 to yes. 9, because uh, we're- Drance we're like, and I are like, ah, 6? Six? 6 is early. I don't see it. Yeah, so <laughs> 7, seven to it. 9 today and tomorrow, possibly Friday as well, if Bruff's still sick. Yeah, we will see. We will see. We'll keep you appraised, as uh, as a lot of people are doing. We're, we're just trying to do our best here, going into the holiday season with availability. This hour of Halford & Bruff brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. Of course, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider 
supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And as always, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. David Amber is going to join us in about 10 minutes. We'll uh, do a little spin around the league with him. Some breaking Artem Zub news to get into with David Amber. At Big <laughs> Artem <laughs> yes. Zub news. Yes, what everyone turns on their radio to hear in the morning. We also the have uh, about Artem Zub. Big Canucks, well, not big, but Canucks tickets yes. to give away today as well to yes. the Kraken game on Thursday so for, for the best what we learned. The best what we learned submission, which we will do as scheduled at 8.30. So get your submissions in, hashtag WWE. WL, what you learned in the last 24 hours of sports, and the best submission, as chosen by us, gets to go to the Kraken game uh, against the Canucks tomorrow. And then uh, 7.30, Jeff Baker, speaking of the Kraken from the Seattle Times, will join us. 8 o'clock, our guy Chris Faber from Canucks Army and the Canucks Conversation podcast. But first, let's begin with what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... So, no Canucks game, obviously. No football. No, but this is where I get to talk about the U, the U of M, the U of Miami Hurricanes taking down number two ranked Virginia behind a blistering first quarter from Isaiah Wong. Is it? Is it where you get to talk about that? I don't know. I mean, that's what happened. (laughs) That was one of the big games in college hoops yesterday. You win some money on that one? Oh, no. Yeah, like I bet on U of M. <laughs> they're not They're not in the WCC, so they're, yeah, they're off your radar. Uh, I was going to start in the NHL, and here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, even though the Canucks didn't play, I'm going to tie everything that happened. Oh, that seems probably yeah. wiser than my approach of talking about college hoops. <laughs> I'm going to tie everything that did happen in the NHL back to the Canucks, because here's the thing. No matter what you want to happen, for the Canucks this season, no matter what your you know your deepest desires are for the Canucks, whether it's to go on a miracle run to the playoffs or whether it's to sink to the bottom of the standings and land Connor Bedard, no matter what you want to happen, last night didn't help. Last night hurt your cause, no matter what it is. The Flames beat the Sharks, the Kings beat the Ducks, Seattle beat St. Louis, Winnipeg beat Ottawa. If you still want to make the playoffs, all of the teams above you that you're chasing you know, with we can debate how much realistic hope there is, but all of those teams that you would theoretically need to chase down, they all won. And all of the teams below you or around you in terms of lottery position, they all lost. So it got harder to catch them as well. So it was the perfect mushy middle night for the Vancouver Canucks. All the teams above them got farther above them. All of the teams below them got farther below them last night, Trance. You get what you deserve in this league sometimes. You know, a, a mushy middle night is a fitting Christmas gift for a mushy middle team. You know, you want to be really bad? That takes work. You got to plan for that. You got to execute on that. In this league, like, it's hard to be bad. It's hard to be good. Honestly, it is. It's hard to be worse than Chicago. Come on. They're really so bad. Hard. Really hard to be worse than Anaheim. Really hard. <laughs> like, really, really hard. Really hard. So it takes work. And you know what? It takes work to be good. And it takes a plan to be good. And it takes a, a lot of discipline and years of execution to be good. And, yeah, this team hasn't done it. This team hasn't put it in. So they get what they deserve. Um, How about the referee shoving Michael Bunting last night? Yeah. What was that? That was bizarre. That was up there with, do you remember last season when that one referee kicked the puck to the Bruins? Yeah. It's just like, oh my goodness. Hey, you don't want to get a, shoved? Get off the ice. That is a brutal moment. 
You want to? You can't. You can't be putting. You can't be having that visual if you're an NHL referee. You just can't. You just can't. NHL refs, man. Like, how many times do you think that's going to be replayed the next time? You know, oh, let's think about it. Maybe a suspicious high stick goes against the Leafs in a crucial playoff game, negating a goal in a situation you never see that happen. How many times are Leafs fans going to play that gif? And by the way, I'm not assuming that like there's a conspiracy theory when incompetence will justify <laughs> the actions of NHL officiating. But like that was a really bad visual for the league, a really big problem for me. Do we want to do some uh, some Artem Zub discourse? We can do some Artem just, Zub. Just came in okay, before I'll, we started the show. Artem Zub signs a four-year extension with the Ottawa Senators. I want to give you two facts about Artem Zub. Let's do it. Okay. Artem Zub is now paid like a top pair defenseman in the NHL. That's fact number one. There are what? It's like 66 defensemen that make four, four and a half million more, right. or more. Or four, 68 defensemen. So there's right 64, on the number, there's 64 yeah. top pair defensemen. Artem Zub is now one of them in terms of how he's compensated. Artem Zub is now a top pair defenseman, and yet he would be the fourth highest paid defender on the Vancouver Canucks. Those are your two facts. Take from them what you will. Here's what I like about the Zub deal really quickly. I think Zub's a good player, first of all, right? Big, right-handed, Russian-born player. Doesn't have a ton of NHL experience. He's kind of like, you know what he is? He's kind of like the defenseman version of Andre Kuzmenko. He's just like a found money player who came over from the K and it's like, oh, look, this guy, he's big, he's mobile, he's skilled enough, and he can hold up in tough minutes. Top pair defenseman. And he plays top pair minutes for Ottawa. So what I like about this bet is this bet is in line with the Bear Hoaglander bets that I sometimes uh, mm. pro- uh, you know, call for on Canucks Talk. I like bets where you bet on the floor of a player, right? So it's like if Zub is just who he is, for four more years, he will provide you with a market value, like low-end top pair defenseman, right? A, a, a classic 2-3. That's what you're paying him to be? If he develops not one single iota, you will have paid the price for what he is, right? And on a four-year deal, it's just going to take him through 31. You're still confident that a defender is going to be, you know, have the wheels spinning at 31. So I like those parts of it. If... Zub continues to develop, and he's had some injury issues. He's had some durability concerns. Like it's not like he's had, you know, a consistent run on a on a good team or a structured environment, right? Like if he can level up alongside T- Thomas Shabbat and be something where you look at him and say, "Hey, you know, this guy's maybe a little bit better than a low end top pair defenseman. Maybe he's like a real top, you know, like a, a middle class top pair defenseman." Then you're getting a million and a half, two million in surplus value in crucial years where the Ottawa Senators obviously want to improve. Pierre Dorian, despite the the hot Pierre summer t-shirts that were handed out in the <laughs> nation's capital this summer, has had a tough few months. A lot of he was praised rather luxuriously for those some of those bad trades like the Debrinket deal. That's a really tough one even though Debrinket's played fine like it's a it's a 9 million dollar QO. I don't think you want to trade a top 10 pick. For, for a $9 million QO. Like, yikes. Anyway, this is a really sharp bet for the Ottawa Senators. This is the sort of bet that the Canucks should be looking to replicate. Zub has more value today than he did yesterday. Those are the best types of contracts to sign. I actually think Ottawa is 
better than their record indicates. I oh, know they lost lot. last night, but I would choose them. We've we've had this debate back and forth, not specifically about Ottawa, but just about which teams do you expect to finish where in the standings. And I would expect Ottawa to climb the standings from the position well, they're in right now, not to the heights that everyone was. People got ahead of themselves. Let's let's be honest about that. Not with me. the Ottawa Senators, I had in my the Ottawa summer. Senators fade going, but I now now I think there's a backlash where it's like, oh, same old Ottawa, they're going to be in last place. And I think it, the truth is in the middle. They're going to be better than they are right now, but not to the uh, maybe goofy heights that some people projected them in the well, summer. They're going to be better than the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, that I would choose them to hit to finish above the Canucks in the standings. Oh, without question. Remember when they? Remember when the Canucks played the Senators and beat them? And it was just like Ottawa completely dominated possession. Yeah, and just I think, like kept missing the net. The, the, the comparison I made on our show was they looked like the Harlem Globetrotters. Like, Yikes. seriously, <laughs> the passing they did in the Canucks defensive zone. But we've seen a lot of that uh, against the Canucks. The other thing I wanted to mention in terms of what happened, and normally I wouldn't bring this up, but I think all of a sudden there's a lot of focus on the Abbotsford Canucks, right? All of a sudden you have not just Jack Rathbone, not just Danila Klimovich down there, but you've got Vasily Podkolzin, you've got Niels Hoaglander. It was his Niels Hoaglander's first game with the Abbotsford Canucks, and I had to chuckle at this because I pull up the scoreboard, and hey, they beat San Jose 6-2. All right, let's go. Check the box score. No points for Hoaglander. No points for Podkolzin. No points for Danila Klimovich. So they win. They win big, 6-2. Probably any of the players that you were most interested in producing, uh, did not find the score sheet in the 6-2 win for Abbotsford. Just wanted to throw that out there. We'll um, we'll have more Abbotsford Canucks talk with Chris Faber later in the show. How much do you think getting Hoaglander down there... Like, if Hoaglander doesn't come back on the 28th when he's eligible to be recalled following the holiday break, I think that speaks volumes about how management views the environment at the NHL level. Yeah. And one, so we talked about this on our show <laughs> like, yesterday, like as right? an infectious property that young players must be protected from. And and maybe we'll get into this later. But we had a text because we talked about this yesterday in the show, right? That they're basically almost sending Hoaglander down, not as like an indictment of Hoaglander's play, but oh man, things are so bad here. We don't want you around this right now. And somebody texted into our show if they like the environment in the AHL so much, like why not? Get Jeremy Colleton up here, and you know what I mean. If if you think he's putting the structure in place, and you don't like the structure that's up here, why not have it a go? Give it a go for the for the remainder of the season, and see if he can do it at the NHL level for you as well. And then you have three head coaches on the books. You Somet- do sometimes. Sometimes you got to go with the Occam's Razor explanation, and this might be one of those times. Uh, by the way. Uh, we're going to get David Amber on the line here in just a second, but A-Dog reminded me, if you want to be entered in the uh, for the tickets for the Kraken game tomorrow in your What We Learn submission, make sure you include the ticket emoji. And uh, I heard Bruff say this on the show yesterday, and I agree. As, as somebody who's been in this position, A-Dog, only include the ticket emoji if you can actually go to the game. Because yes. there's truly nothing worse than hit, reaching out and saying, hey, you're the winner. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm definitely not going. Yeah, and then you got to track like, down somebody else. Yeah, so. one guy like, I was, I'm actually in Arizona, so I can't go. <laughs> yeah, I, no, probably... I, have no, I have no intention of going whatsoever. Yeah. So only include the ticket emoji if you can actually use the tickets to tomorrow's Kraken game. Uh, now joining us on the show here on Halford & Bruff with Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz filling in. You see him all the time as part of our NHL on Sportsnet coverage. Uh, our pal, David Amber. David, thanks as always for doing this. How are you? 
Doing well. Hey, fellas, what's going on in Vancouver? The snow. It's pretty nuts. And I got to say, leaving my house this morning, you know, pre 6 a.m., it was a bracing cold that I think the rest of Canada is very used to. But out here, we're not so familiar with, David. It's tough. (laughs) Welcome to our world. (laughs) So. I knew we were going to have you on, and the first thing I thought about, David, was that just a little over a year ago, uh, you had a very a, a very famous or infamous tweet, and this was pre-Bruce Boudreaux coming in for the Canucks. <laughs> you had a very infamous tweet saying that, hey, I, I know I'm in the minority here, but I think if the Canucks do something in the next week or so, they could get back in the playoff race. And I know we had a lot of fun bringing you on, you know, while they were kind of surging up the standings with Bruce Boudreaux and checking in. And so I, I got to ask, all, just over a year later, are, are you willing to go out a limb on a limb again and, and buy in on the Canucks' comeback chances this year? I am not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I am not. It feels, you know, once bitten, twice shy. It feels a little different this year, I'll be honest. Like, I know the team got off to that horrible start last year, but it just felt like, I don't know, it just didn't, it felt different to me. It just felt like they were really underachieving last year. And this year, there's just so much turmoil, um, really, from day one. And, you know, you, you don't win a Stanley Cup in the first, 10 games of the season, but maybe you can lose a Stanley Cup in those 10 games. And, you know, when you start your season off with seven straight defeats and five of them where you've led by two multiple goals, you know, psychologically, that's a, that's a big hurdle to try and climb out of. And then just everything that's transpired since then, it's been just one, you know, sort of dramatic situation after another. And, and it continues to be, you know, even the Vancouver Canucks, uh, you know, their Twitter account, you know, feeling festive, and they show this picture of Brock Besser. It looks like he's about to start crying, and I'm thinking, man, like, what is going on? Just everything seems to have come unraveled. It just, it, we're all kind of waiting for the next step, right, guys? Like, we're waiting to see what happens, whether Bo Horvath's moved or Brock Besser's moved or there's a coaching change or what. We're just waiting to see what's going to happen. It just doesn't feel like this is a team ready to kind of pull together and, and make a surge towards the postseason this year. David, taking uh, taking our listeners around the league because this is technically part of the what happened segment. Um, what what were your takeaways from what happened in the Maple Leafs Tampa Bay Lightning game? Both both in terms of Toronto's performance, rather rather clearly throttling the Lightning, but also uh, the visual of the referee and, and Michael Bunting toward the end. <laughs> well, two different things there. First of all, the Leafs they really were disciplined. They were prepared. Uh, maybe for them that was some type of a statement game, you know, against the team that eliminated them in the playoffs. You know, having said that, that didn't look like the version of the Tampa Bay Lightning any of us expects to be there uh, come playoff time. You know, they were held to eight shots in the first two periods. They spent the last three nights in Toronto. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate too much, but you know, they, a lot of the guys have family here, and you know, I think mm-hmm. it might have been maybe stopped being a business trip for a few of the guys uh, sometime during the the few days here and, and maybe that showed in last night's performance as far as Tampa's concerned. And the bunting thing was very interesting to me. And I was sitting with Luke Gazdick, former NHL player and a very tough guy who's been in a lot of sort of physical confrontations with, you know, referees and linesmen, you know, to, to ushering them out of fights and ushering them off the ice. And he was surprised with the level of uh, enthusiasm, we'll put it that way, that that the linesman had. And, and it's funny, he actually said, oh, I played against that linesman. You know, I had a fight with him in junior hockey. <laughs> and I kind of laughed. I said, okay. 
and he he played against Michael Bunting in the past. Uh, you know, reports have so maybe there was a little bit of history there. I think he kind of overstepped the boundaries of what you expect uh, from a, a amount of mm-hmm. force needed to to get a player off the ice. Do I think anything is going to come out of it? Probably not. I, I imagine you know Stephen Walkham and the head of officiating will probably talk to him and sort of say, "Look, we can't do that." But I don't think the Leafs are going to make a big you know big big point out of it. But yeah, I'm sure there might have been a little bit of embarrassment for Michael Bundy when it when the line's been kind of handling you that way and you don't want to be on the wrong end of something like that. Are uh, are Leafs fans already dreading a potential playoff matchup with the uh, with the Boston Bruins, given how Boston is playing this year, Amber? <laughs> you know what, guys, it's sort of pick your poison, right? You have Tampa. Yeah. Three times, three times straight to the Stanley Cup final. You have Boston, who look like this unstoppable force right now, with you know a handful of, of sort of future Hall of Famers in their lineup. So it's uh, yeah, it's one of those years where the Atlantic Division is so top heavy, and the Leafs are right there. But you're right; they have, they have to go against two teams that have won the Stanley Cup, have made it to the Stanley Cup final, who win in the first round of the playoffs, and, and that's going to be the big narrative, like. You know, how are the Leafs, even if they have this fantastic regular season, they're probably going to go into either series with Tampa or Boston as a prohibitive underdog, and understandably so based on their history. So already that narrative is starting to play out here in Toronto, and uh, you know, that's just how it's going to be. Until the Leafs can get past that dreaded first round, that's going to be all the chatter is what's wrong with these guys. They're, you know, why can't they do it? And now and look at who their potential opponents have to be. So people do want to see, some people at least want to see a bit of a shakeup of the playoff format, guys, because you could have a scenario where, you know, three of the top, let's say, five or six teams in the NHL are pitted in the same division. And I know it's a cyclical thing, and it could have been a different division, but as it stands right now, that's what we're probably going to see in the Atlantis, the way those three teams are, are rolling right now. Yeah, you know, you bring up an interesting point there. I've never been really a big fan of this playoff format. And I I know the logic of it was, okay, well, we're going to get all the we're going to get these teams playing constantly and we'll develop these rivalries and you know, we've even heard rumors that maybe they're going to go to to more of a division heavy regular season schedule to try to promote those rivalries, but I don't know if ultimately rivalries are something you can engineer. It seems like it's just a more organic thing that develops naturally. And I think, as you said, the potential downsides of this playoff structure outweigh any you know any benefit by uh, getting these teams playing each other over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it really hasn't transpired. We haven't had the Islanders yeah. versus the Rangers. We've, we've had one version of Toronto versus Montreal, and it took the, the, the bubble to get that. We've had one version of the Battle of Alberta that was last year. You know, we haven't had as many of these, like, perfect rivalries that the NHL had envisioned taking place. Um, you know, I, I almost want to go back to when I was a kid, literally, when when I was a little, little kid, it was one versus 16, or, yeah, I think it was one versus 16, two versus 15. I mean, not, you know, I understand with travel and everything else, they don't want that. But, you know, maybe in a more traditional, like, one versus eight in each conference, and then at least it does feel like there is a discernible advantage to having a great regular season, um, because sometimes there just isn't. You know, the way it's, it's the format is now, it just isn't, isn't as, um, you know, fair to some teams the way it shakes down. Hey, David, we really appreciate the time this morning. Thanks, as always. Uh, we'll, we'll check back maybe later in the new year and see if you're uh, if you're more willing to buy in to the Canucks again. And have a great holidays. Be safe, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, happy holidays. Thanks for having me on, guys. And, yeah, trust me, there's no one who'd like to see a turnaround with the Canucks more than me. I'm just <laughs> not feeling it exactly at this point, but who knows what the future holds. So thanks for having me on. Thanks, thanks David. David. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think me... 
Well, I want to read. I want to read the text. I would like to see the Canucks turn it around. I think everyone would. It's one of, like who wouldn't? Oh, I was being sarcastic. No, but you, like in the long term, you would. Obviously, of yeah. course, everyone would. I did want to read you the tweet I was referencing from David Amber because it's. Uh, I didn't realize just how perfect it was okay. to read to you. But so this is from December fourth, so the day of. The Penguins. It game. includes the words anything can happen. Yes, it does. Okay, the day of the go. Penguins game. He says, "I'm likely in the minority, but I really think if the Canucks can go four and two or five and one during this homestand, they could get themselves into the playoff race. The math isn't in their favor." Dot dot dot. But anything can happen. <laughs> now, to be fair, he was not talking about getting into the playoffs, and then anything can happen. Well, he was talking about getting into the playoff so, race. So, and he and he was right in spirit, but you know. Bird Dom Lecision's model, their their odds never peaked above twenty six percent, even even when they went on Very that good. run last season. So Very good. All right, you we know. gotta take a quick break here. Keep your uh your what we learn submissions with the ticket emojis coming in. No, golf claps awarded anyway. Okay. Golf Very claps. good. Uh Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times. We'll talk Seattle Kraken with him. That's coming up next. Thanks for listening to Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. You're listening to Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, AvenueMachinery.ca, Douglas Lake Equipment. Dot com. Looking ahead to tomorrow's game between the Vancouver Canucks and the Seattle Kraken, uh, the Pacific Northwest rivalry that hasn't really developed yet. He is Jeff Baker for the Seattle Times. Jeff, thanks very much for making time for us. How are you? I, I'm doing well, except for the fact that I have to drive from Seattle to Vancouver. Oh, no. I'm not looking forward to that. Oh, no. Yeah, best <laughs> of luck with that. It's been tough just getting like a few blocks in the Vancouver area right now. So that's uh, that's a tough one, Jeff. Yeah, so I've heard. My brother actually lives in Vancouver, works for the uh, Vancouver Fire Department, and um, uh, yeah, he's been he's been filling me in with updates on it. It's the same thing in Seattle, so uh, I think the highways will be the safest place for me today. Yeah, you're better off driving in than flying in. <laughs> probably true. Probably true. No question about at that. this point. Uh, so we heard the clip, the goal from from Maddie Beniers, and I mean, I think most conversations about the Seattle Kraken right now start with Maddie Beniers. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to ask you about his play on the ice, but also just for a team that had so much hype coming in, didn't have the season they wanted last year in their inaugural season. What has it meant to have kind of this legitimate star turn from a rookie? Uh, in Maddie Beniers so far this year. Well, I think it's meant uh, it's meant everything to the Kraken. Uh, yeah, you know they brought in some talent besides Beniers this year, but uh, you know you look at him and and you see you can see what the future might look like a few years down the road with him there. And and it's not just a few years down the road; they're doing it right now. They're winning games right now. I think it was very important. I think. Um, I think they fell a lot flatter than they thought they were going to fall last season. I mean, we've heard a lot of talk about, oh, they're an expansion team, this, that, and the other. But the fact is they paid $650 million to avoid some of these issues that expansion teams have historically gone through, and they didn't do it last season. Uh, you know, part of the reason is they had some guys here that didn't really want to be here, and I think they've, they've cleared some of those guys out. And, you know, and they brought in a handful of guys that actually have some goal-scoring talent uh, the defense hasn't changed much for this team. The goaltending hasn't changed much for this team. But uh, they have a, a few more guys that can put the puck in the net, and Beniers is one of them. And, and so we've seen the results. They're not they're not winning every game by four or five goals, but but they're winning games by a goal, maybe two. And uh, you know it was a slight subtle shift that they had to make from last season, and uh, and now their their model, their their analytical models, and their 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 systematic approach is is actually holding up for them. 
Jeff, one thing that happens once you have sort of an outpost with a couple of NHL teams in it, uh, we see this in Florida and now we see it between Vancouver and Seattle, uh, is you get a lot of those back-to-back games, <laughs> opponents traveling back-to-back. We saw Seattle feast on both St. Louis and Winnipeg this week uh, following those two teams uh, playing well, blowing the Canucks out of their own building. Um, is that is that a factor? Like, is that an edge that the Kraken talk about or are aware of? Uh, no, they need to capitalize off of it because they've certainly been full value for it over the course of the past seven days. Yeah, they go into these games uh, having it drilled into them. I mean, they haven't taken advantage of it all the time. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, that upsets the coaching staff and they hear about it afterwards. Uh, so that was definitely part of the messaging going into some of the games uh, the past week. And, um, you know, they, they, they've been full value for it. Uh, you know, there, there, there's some built-in advantage there. But the other problem about living in an outpost is uh, you got to travel a lot more than other teams do. <laughs> yep. And and so that that kind of negates itself when when they go the other way. I mean, they went to the uh, the East Coast last week and got their lunch handed to them three times out of four. So, uh, you know, I I don't know how much of a built-in advantage it is necessarily in the standings, but I agree with you. They they definitely have to take advantage of it when it happens to them here, and um, and, and so they have thus far. Um, you know, the other thing they they really need to take advantage of is is beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. I mean, they. they <laughs> Starting with the Canucks, that would be one of them. I mean, <laughs> the Kraken, the, the Kraken have been full value for for taking down some of the NHL's better teams, both this season and even last season when they could barely beat anybody. They were beating some of the best teams in the league. They, they took out Florida twice, and so uh, yeah, you know, it, it's the t- it's the the so-called easier teams they're supposed to beat. Montreal came in here a couple of weeks ago, my my hometown team, and, and they beat uh, they beat the Kraken. You know. Not not easily, but it was it, it was a I think it was a four two game. I mean that that should never happen, uh, you know. And then Montreal went out and lost to Anaheim for like the second regulation win the Ducks have had all year. And so, you know that that that's kind of been the story of the Kraken. They have to start taking care of business, and they have to start taking care of business uh, with the Canucks. You mentioned a rivalry earlier, and I mentioned I grew up in Montreal. I mean I saw the Montreal Canadiens Quebec Nordiques rivalry back in the eighties. I yeah. saw them play the Bruins. Those were rivalries. Yeah. This is not a rivalry, and it won't be. Because the Kraken haven't beaten the Canucks, you have to. One team has to beat the other in order for anybody to start talking about a rivalry. Right now, it's not a rivalry. Yeah, how aware is the Kraken fan base of the? Uh, what are they? O for six now? O for five? Uh, o for, ter- for five in terms of the Kraken, uh, the Kraken's inability to defeat the team from you know the, the north end of the I five. I don't think the casual fans are that into it right now I, I know that the hardcore hockey fans and there are some here that, you know they, they mention it uh quite a bit and i think if they lose um tomorrow night it's, it's going to become more than just a minor annoyance because i mean this, this is this is what happened in october all over again the canucks couldn't win a game and, and they they and the kraken are off to a pretty good start and the canucks waltz right in there to climb a pledge and do what they've always done and they beat the the kraken and here we go again you know the canucks i think they've lost what three out of four other seasons kind of Drifting nowhere, nowhere fast, um, you know, and people are starting to moan about, you know, what happens with Bo Horvat, what happens with Bruce Boudreaux, what happens with the, with the front office. And so the Kraken are going to go in, and we all know they're going to get, you know, they're going to get their butts whipped again tomorrow <laughs> night. And that, that's, that's, that's the, the script anyway. And if the Kraken want to flip the script, they, they got to actually do something about it. They got to go in there. Um, I, I don't know what the odds are on the first fight we're going to see, but I have a feeling we'll probably see a, a few fisticuffs flying in the first period. 
In conversation with Jeff Baker of the Seattle Times, here looking ahead to the Kraken Canucks matchup tomorrow. Uh, one player, you know, speaking of any potential for a rivalry to really develop, if the Kraken do get their first victory against the Canucks tomorrow, and Jared McCann is a major part of it, that would certainly help rub some salt in the wounds of Canucks fans. Of course, a Canucks draft pick who's really, you know, found his stride in the NHL with the Seattle Kraken, already 15 goals this year after setting career highs last season what has worked so well for Jared Jared McCack uh, Jared McCann excuse me with the Kraken well one one thing to start with he's a very good player very talented player he scored uh what, 28 goals last year and I think he had only about five of them in the final three months of the season um you know the team itself caught up with him last year I mean he could have easily been a 35 40 goal scorer if he had a team around him a much better team around him instead I, I think you know, players were able to hone in on him and Jordan Everly and realize nobody else on the Kraken could score. And so, you know, finally, after watching some video footage, uh, teams playing them second, third time around, knew who to key on and knew who not to let beat them. And I, and I think more often than not, that's what happened last season. This season, it's a little different. As I mentioned, they, they've got four lines with, with guys that are actually capable of putting the puck in the net. And, and that's what's been the story with the Kraken. It's no one line that's dominating. And so you can't really focus on any one player uh that that's one part of it and then the second part of it he's just been on a really really well producing line with Jordan Eberle and Matty Beneers and, and the one thing they do really well is forecheck believe it or not they're not three big guys they're they're fairly small guys but they forecheck I think better than any line the, the Kraken have probably even even their so-called checking lines and, and and they're able to go in there and dig for loose pucks and 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 you know, convert the rebounds and, and convert second opportunities. And, and that's what they've been doing. And the, the one thing with, with McCann is he'll shoot the puck from anywhere on the ice. Uh, he's not afraid to do that. And so they've been digging out the pucks. They've been feeding it to him and he doesn't, he doesn't miss when he gets the chance. Jeff Martin Jones is a North Vancouver kid. We always like to get the Martin Jones update. He's been playing a lot. He's been playing a lot, and the, it's not like the Kraken are leaning on their goaltending. Uh, but 21 starts for, for Jones so far this season, or 21 games played anyway. Uh, what's he brought? Why, why is he getting so much more usage than, than Grubauer? Well, Grubauer was hurt for a while. He missed about five weeks of action. And so, uh, you know, Jones became the number one goalie by default. They don't really have anybody else in, in their system. I mean, they have Joey Decord, but he's – Never really proven himself at the NHL level. Um, he's a great AHL goaltender. So, you know, when, when Grubauer was hurt, it was all Martin Jones. And uh, the one thing Jones does is the one thing this team does really well. The, the, Kraken, the Kraken are a really um, consistent, uh, well-producing team when they keep things simple and when they don't try to be more than they aren't. Yeah, yeah, you, know, um, you know, they're not the 1985 Edmonton Oilers when it comes to scoring goals. And, and when they start acting like it on the ice, you know, when they had their big inflated record a couple of weeks ago, I think they were 15-5-3, you know, the players all of a sudden started trying to make these fancy passes. Uh, you know, they look like the 76th Soviet Central Red Army out there trying to, trying to throw the puck around. Instead of just keeping it simple, going to the net, hard, working hard and putting the puck in the net, taking shots and putting it in the net. They started doing that again the last couple of games. They're winning. Goaltending, same thing. I mean, Martin Jones... He, he, he's not Martin. He's not Martin Brodeur in his prime, and we know that. We've seen that uh, throughout his career. And so, at, at some point, uh, you know, where, where he's been winning games is when he sticks to making the initial save, when he sticks to the fundamentals, when he doesn't try to get too fancy, 
when uh, when he when the team this is very important too when the team doesn't require him to be spectacular um that's where he'll help you he, he'll he'll help them out he's been very solid in the fundamentals he's not he's not giving up cheap goals from the blue line he's not uh, giving up you know 50 foot rebounds he, he's just making the initial stop he's, he's being solid fundamentally and when the team plays its system its two-way system and clears away those loose pucks and gets in you know blocks shots uh, stays out of the shooting lanes and doesn't screen Martin Jones, you know, he'll be okay. He'll give up a couple of goals, and that'll be it. And more often than not, they're winning those one-goal games. Where, where he starts to get in trouble is when the team, as I said, starts playing like, like the Central Red Army or the 76 Canadians or the 85 Oilers, you know, and they forget all about defense, although the Canadians have pretty good defense in those days. Um, when they forget about the defensive part, Jones hasn't been able to bail them out. I mean, they won a game nine to eight in Los Angeles, where I've never seen two teams abandon defense and, and their structure the way the Kings and, and the uh, and the Kraken did that game. It was just abysmal. And Jones was in nets for for all eight goals against, and he actually won the game. And you know, they were asking Dave Haxtell afterwards why he didn't pull the goalie, and he said, "Well, there wasn't really anything to pull. Like, what are you going to do? Take him out? None of the goals were his fault. They're letting three guys get in the slot." right in front of him, keep whacking up the puck. Eventually it's going to go in. That's Martin Jones. You know, he, he's, he's as good as the system will allow him to be. And, and to an extent, Phil Grubauer is the same way. Um, they, they've been playing Grubauer a little bit more now um, when, when, he's, when he's in there. But the problem is Grubauer has been a little inconsistent. Sometimes, you know, he'll come to a game, allow some soft goals, then find his game later. And, and Hacksaw is just trying to find the right formula where, you know, he, he doesn't reward him with an automatic start the next game if he's not going to be fantastic. So that's why, you know, that's why Jones has been getting more opportunities. But, but you know, you know, Jones is what Jones has always been. He's, he's, he's going to be as good as the team allows him to be. And, uh, you know, he's not going to stand on his head and lead a team to the Stanley Cup. That, that's not his M.O. Uh, but for right now, when they need somebody to push Grubauer a little bit, Jones has been there and he's been solid when the defense doesn't make a bunch of mistakes in front of them. Hey, Jeff, just before we let you go, you know, I wanted to ask you a, a bit of an off-the-ice question about the Kraken as well, because, you know, one of the things we've heard from our, our Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada colleague Elliot Friedman recently is that, you know, Vegas and Seattle have instantly come in and become top revenue-driving teams, you know, not literally one and two, but in the top five, top ten of revenue-driving teams in the NHL instantly. Why has it worked so well from a business standpoint so far for the Seattle Kraken? Yeah, I was telling Elliot that the other night. I was sitting with him in Florida, and so <laughs> and <laughs> there you go. No, no, that's not what happened. Um, <laughs> very good. We used to work together in Toronto. Elliot's uh, very good at what he does. I, 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 I think that in both cases they have very astute marketing departments. Uh, the Kraken, in particular, uh, their ownership group is full of people with expertise in, in marketing and um, in shipping. And I mean, we could go on and on and corporate branding. I mean, they have a CEO of Amazon as one of their, their uh, minority owners. And so like, you know, they're going to know how to sell stuff. That's not a problem. And, and they got Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, who knows how to, mm-hmm. knows how to put some flash and pizzazz into things. And, and so I, I think that that's been a very key part of the whole thing. I mean, you're not dealing with a bunch of guys who, who just, you know, pick stuff out of a hat. They know exactly what they're doing. They target stuff. Um, and and in the Kraken's case, they had a couple of years. To, they, they had a little longer than Vegas did to, to to lead into stuff with all their branding. I mean, they had they had a good two years to do it, and so uh, and they took full advantage of it uh, b- before that. I mean, there's nothing else to focus on here in Seattle. They had no players, no coaches, and so they were able to uh, you know focus on the logo and the team. I think that's a big part of it uh, as well. And and look, hockey fans, 
you know, look, they'll, they'll buy any jerseys. <laughs> they'll buy I mean, you put you can put six alternate jerseys out there. They'll snatch up every one of them. That that seems to be something that this sport is good for. It's got very passionate fans, maybe the most passionate fans in all of sports, uh, very territorial fans, very protective fans. And so when you put your colors out there, uh, they, they tend to rally around them. Um, why it's selling so well on a national level, that, that's a good question. I, I can't answer that. I think the success of Vegas had a lot to do with it. Uh, but you can't argue that in the Kraken's case because the Kraken weren't very successful on the ice last season, but they sure were successful at selling their logo. I, I go everywhere. I was on a beach in Cancun last weekend for my birthday, and I saw a guy walk by in a Kraken jersey, and that's, <laughs> that's not as common as you think because you get people from East Coast Canada going down there, but you don't get them from West Coast all that often. Uh, it's a long flight, and so uh, I thought that was very cool. Uh, Jeff, really appreciate the time and the insight. Best of luck making it up to Vancouver yeah, for tomorrow, travels, and, and uh, have a great holiday season as well. Hey, I'm Canadian. I'll, I'll figure out. I'll figure <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jeff. Yeah. That is Jeff Baker covering the Seattle Kraken for the Seattle Times, and of course he'll be here for uh, the game between the two teams. Yeah, this Kraken still haven't still ha- it feels like the last. I don't know. The last check they need to, or box they need to check to kind of, okay, we're officially not a disappointing expansion team anymore, right? We got to gotta get this done. Got to beat, uh, as Jeff said, this team that struggles to beat anyone else. <laughs> we have to finally get that mark on our resume to, uh, to, to, to really establish ourselves here. I don't think they're going to do it. You think it's going to be the Canucks? I do. It has like... Is it, is there, is it a matchup thing? Is no, it, or is it just a random no. thing? I mean, you could not outplay a team more significantly than the Kraken did when Vancouver beat them in their first for their first win of the season in late October. Like the Canucks were horrendous that night. I know they came out. Miller and Bo Horvat fought. Remember? Yes. Or yeah. no, sorry, no that's Miller, Miller and Pearson. And, Pearson and Horvat fought, tried to fight. And Horvat tried to fight Vince Dunn. Yeah, but the <laughs> Vince Dunn was like, "No, we already have defensemen in the box. I'm not doing that." And then the Canucks score on that shift. And you know the 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 Miller there's the Miller block late right I mean here's the thing go watch that game again or go look at just go look at the shot counter I mean the Kraken were all over Vancouver and they still couldn't get it done I feel like that's what we're gonna see again tomorrow it's it's gonna be one of those one of those that I just this there's something about this five-game losing streak where I just feel like it's going to last. I feel like the Kraken are going to be like a, you know, a 98 to 104 point team yeah. that for some reason couldn't beat the Canucks a single time this season. That, it's interesting. Just my gut. Just my gut. Hey, this Kraken team, though, is pretty good. You know what? They've, I, been, they've been a lot better than I was expecting, for I, sure. I think they're, they're going to make the playoffs this year. I, I, I don't want to say there's no question. There's no doubt about it right now, but They've got, I think they've got, they've got some wiggle room at the moment, right? Like it's, sure. we've talked about it yesterday. It's basically nine teams competing for the playoffs, like really seriously competing for the playoffs in the Western Conference and at this may, point. And maybe St. Louis gets into the mix. Yeah. Although I, I would be very hesitant to bet on any sustained success from St. Louis they at this point. Well, it just, they're so up and down. Well, they can't move. Like, even more than we talk about it with the Canucks, right? Where we say, well, they're going to have two weeks where they, you know, they win a bunch of games, and then they're going to have two weeks where they can't win a game to save their life. Like, St. Louis is even more that. Well, you know what I mean? But St. Louis is more that in that they have higher highs. Like, they have, they have, they're, they have. But they've had some pretty low lows, too. But their highs are higher. But but you're always going to have low lows if you can't control games. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, that's fundamentally the issue that both Vancouver and St. Louis have. It's just that I, th- I think St. Louis has the has a little more capacity to to go on real runs as opposed to you know, hey nine of eight, nine of thirteen, eight of eight of eleven. Oh, man, it's so it's so sad. It's so sad, sad what we've been reduced to in this market. Like the things that are clung to for hope. It's like, well, if you take out the first seven games of the season and also only look at games played on Thursday that start at seven thirty, <laughs> this team, his team, they're hot now. But you look at take out the first seven games of the season and only look at the road record. Yeah, <laughs> like, ooh, all right, yeah. <laughs> and and ignore the fact that we're at twenty four days in counting or twenty five days in counting since the Canucks last one in regulation. Uh, by the way, you were talking about uh, the Artem Zub deal and running through the calculations that basically he is a, officially a top pairing defender based on that salary. And Tyler texted in, so based on your defender pay scale, the Canucks have three defensemen that are top pairing. I always knew they had a great blue line. That's from Tyler. I mean, the problem is is that they have one top pair defenseman, but three guys paid like Yes. It. Like, that's the problem. They have one top pair defenseman and then a bunch of guys who probably on a good team would be like third pairing at the moment. Yeah. You'd think there's more upside for th- some of them. You'd think they could be four or five guys, but they aren't playing that way at the moment. Um, it's not ideal. No, it's a huge problem. At, so my buddy Cam Sharon wrote a really interesting piece at his blog spot. You can only read it with a subscription, but check him out. Uh, he's Cam Sharon YVR on Twitter. Um, so he wrote a really interesting piece because he's tracking these games yeah. in excruciating detail. And so he has basically like how many seconds it takes teams to exit the zone, right? So the first two seconds after a shot attempt. So we're talking like goalie makes a kick save or whatever. Yeah, and the Defender is, retrieves the yeah. puck. For the first two seconds, the Canucks and their opponents are not different. Neither team exits the zone all that effectively in the first two seconds after... Uh, possession changes hands by way of a shot attempt. From 3 to 15 seconds, though, the differences become massive. Like, other teams get going. Other teams effectively create the hockey version of a fast break. And the Vancouver Canucks play, like, 1950s basketball. They're, like, waiting (laughs) to throw it into the post. Like, the difference is massive. And then even on exit, in these situations, it's like other teams enter the Canucks zone... 66. So two thirds of the time, once you get out of your zone with control of the puck, the team's also getting into the Canucks zone. And you know what? Usually with speed, usually that's going to be a pretty dangerous chance. The Canucks are at like 43%. So it's like there's an extra third of rush chances that their opponents are generating that the Canucks are not. And, and how does this look? Like it looks like this. It looks like other teams flying in <laughs> Canucks wow. goaltenders and then the Canucks. Failing to have that, like, layer, that push, you know, that the two-on-two two that doesn't become a four-on-two, that well, doesn't become a three-on-two. They have to do everything against a set defense, yeah. right? Which is why we talk a lot about, man, they can't really get to the dangerous areas of the ice because the defense is always set. The defense is always back. You're always going against five dudes who are already back in the defensive zone. It's partly a speed issue, right? It's partly a lack of quality defensive personnel with, like, good offensive mm-hmm. instincts. But also, it's hard for me to ignore that it's probably partly, like, you got to pay a price. I know in hockey, people think of paying a price as, like, blocking a shot or, like, doing something, like, you know, hyper-masculine. But, you know, in soccer, in soccer, like, they'll say, you know, to to win is pain. 
because of the amount that you have to you run. You got to run. You got to press. Yeah. Right. You know, like uh, that's um, your uh, Klopp. Klopp, sure. Klopp's like soccer is pain is like a, a key tenant of his, um, what's it called? The, Philosophy? Well, no, it's called a, a Gergen press. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was yeah, trying yeah, to come yeah. up with the soccer version of a blitz. You know, anyway, it's called a Gergen press. I know. At some point, you got to pay the price. It feels like so often in these situations, Canucks defenders are like going to change. And it's like sometimes you got to pay the price. Sometimes you got to skate, hustle to make it a to make it a three on two. And then, you know, I don't care if you're Kyle Burrows, not to like call Kyle Burrows out. I don't think his work rate's at issue. But it's like Kyle Burrows is not necessarily like a threat. No, you score. don't. You don't tap him on the shoulder and say, "Hey, we need a goal." You know, go out there, Kyle Burrows. Hey, hey Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Green light. <laughs> you got the green light. Like, yeah, no, that's never happened in his career, probably since he became a pro. But you know, it makes a huge difference even just to be there, just just take that fourth man's ice. The Canucks aren't paying that price. They're just not. And as a result, they're the slower team. And as a result, they're getting outscored and massively outchanced on the rush. And you know, hey, look. It's one of many issues, but it's an issue. It's Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz filling in for Halford and Bruff. Our guy Chris Faber will join us in the next segment. Remember to keep getting your What We Learn submissions in, including a ticket emoji uh, for your chance to win tickets to the Kraken and Canucks game at Rogers Arena tomorrow. The best submission will win those tickets. We'll read them in the 8.30 segment. But again, up next, Chris Faber from Canucks Army here on Sportsnet 650. Thanks for listening to Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. You're listening to Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. First, right now, on the line, our guy from Canucks Army doing a great job covering the Canucks and Canucks prospects. You also hear him on the Canucks Conversation podcast. He is, of course, Chris Faber. Faber, what's going on, man? Oh, guys, please tell me you want to talk about Abbotsford. Oh, buddy. Abbotsford's the place to be all of a sudden, man. That beat, that beat <laughs> is is blowing up right now. Pod Colson and now Hoaglander. You must be you you must be over the moon about this, man. Oh yeah, and last night was awesome. Uh, obviously, a great game, six two for Abbotsford and Hoaglander's first game. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting now to like think that every line that goes out there for Abbotsford, there's there's something of interest, right? Like mm. that that's been something that has kind of been lacking with this team. But I mean, you look throughout the lineup and, you know, you have Pod Colson on one line, you have Huglander and Carlson on a line together. Uh, Will Lockwood's still playing very good hockey. And then you got Klimovich on the fourth line. Like there, there's something to be excited about every time that you're watching the Abbotsford Canucks and, and watching a different line come over the bench. So last night was great. Uh, it was a good performance for Huglander, good performance for Dermot to be able to honestly like finish the game with no worries. That was a good thing for Travis Dermot as well. So uh, through and through, it was a, a great night. I, I had a really good time watching the Abbotsford Canucks last I'm night. I'm glad to hear it. It's it's nice. Yeah, I'm to in have, a good mood. I was gonna say you sound like you're in a good mood, buddy. What, what team do you cover? Yeah, it's not. I was gonna say it's nice to have fun watching the te- the hockey team you cover. That sounds like a really fun experience, man. But guys, I, I was smiling for 60 minutes of Canucks hockey last night. It was excellent. That is unreal. Um, you mentioned Hoaglander. Doesn't get on the score sheet, but as you said, good first performance for him. What are your expectations? We don't know how long he's going to be in the AHL, but while he's there, what are you expecting and, and hoping to see from Hoaglander with Abbotsford? 
Yeah, I, I expect to see him actually move up the lineup a little bit and maybe get to the point of potentially playing with Pod Colson or Lockwood. I mean, it was kind of it was a lot of fun to watch that line last night. He was with Tristan Nielsen, who uh, really plays like he might be a player who could deserve you know, an NHL contract moving down the road here. He's got such good effort level. Um, I know that, uh, you know, Drance, you were able to see him out in Penticton as well. He looked like one of the players there at that tournament for them. Uh, and and being able to kind of just have a little bit more confidence. I know he, he attempted about six shots yesterday, uh, which was great to see. He got three of them on net. He even tried the lacrosse move behind the net. Uh, just just confidence was there, right? It looked like he, he was playing with... with you know, having fun. And that was good to see because that kind of unlocked some of his ability to be creative and, and get exciting. And that was certain things that obviously a lot of people liked before he came to North America. Then he had that good rookie season. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping that he just continues to do what he did in his first game. Uh, and what I'd like to see is that um, just just build that confidence, right? He looked really good uh, not wearing the number 21 last night. He was back in 36 uh, because Chase Waters wears 21. Maybe he'll bring back 36 when he comes back to the NHL because uh, 21 seems to be cursed at the NHL level. But right now it's about building confidence. It's about you know shooting the puck. It's about handling the puck, having it on your stick a lot, uh, and just building up that those reps with you know the puck on your stick in game action. And this kid's still just 22 years old as of yesterday, so build that confidence right now. This, this situation with Abbotsford is really good to have him just down the road. Uh, and I think they're going to try and leave him there for a little bit because it's better than him sitting in the bench and, and not getting an opportunity at the NHL level. That's for sure. If he moves up the lineup in Abbotsford, does he get scratched the next night? Is that, is that one of the edges <laughs> that you maybe get some consistency in terms of where he's playing, how he's being asked to play, which seems to be absent in Vancouver at the moment? Yeah, I mean, you wonder, it just feels like he's been one of those guys who has not been able to become a duo at the NHL level, right? Like, we hear coaches talk about this all the time, and and they want to have their duos, and then they kind of rotate someone in. For for Niels, it seems like he's been that guy that gets rotated in, and, and he's been given fine opportunities, right? We've seen him play with, with Miller and, and Horvat. We've seen him at certain times with Pedersen, uh, and, and, you know, even sometimes with Pedersen and Pod Colson, like that duo, but he hasn't really found his guy at the NHL level since that rookie season when we saw that trio of Horvat, Pearson, and Helglander playing all that time together. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can find that. Maybe that duo ends up being Pod Colson if he can kind of work his way to that level. I mean, listen, Phil DiGiuseppe is a great AHL player, but if you're talking about you know the players that are going to be on this NHL team down the road, you'd like to see Huglander probably playing with Pod Colson pretty soon here in the AHL. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but a really good start for him just to see him with that confidence, you know, pull off his his fancy moves. He he also wasn't just you know it wasn't just about the Zoro move that he pulled off yesterday or tried to anyways, but it was about him winning puck battles. It was about him being physical. It was about all the stuff that we liked from him in the Calgary game. Uh, he brought all that in his first AHL game, and you could just tell like. He he's so fun to watch when he's confident, right? Like I think we all see this when he's physical early in an NHL game. Everybody loves Niels Huglander, uh, and he was like that in his first AHL game. So I think he's going to be a lot of fun, no matter how long he's down on this stint. And hopefully, it builds a little bit of confidence, like it's been doing for Pod Colson. Well, I was just going to ask you what are, what have the early returns from Pod Colson been? I think it's been ten games now with Abbotsford. What have you seen uh, in his stint in the AHL so far? Yeah, he's definitely not um, producing a ton of offense. I think he's got five points so far yep. in those 10 games, but 
I like you're seeing him be physical again, which is awesome. I mean, he he really is controlling the boards against all these AHL players. So he's been doing an excellent job in that way. Um, you want to see him kind of shoot the puck a little bit more. I think it's I think it's 20 shots in his first 10 games uh, in the AHL, which is you know fine. But I think. It was it was interesting to hear a lot of players talk about this last year about Pod Colson having one of the hardest shots on the team and and being a guy that kind of surprised them with how he shoots the puck and a lot of people want to see that happen at the NHL level and a lot of people would like to see that happening in the AHL right now so I'd like to see him shoot the puck a little bit more he's been okay offensively I don't think it's been as impressive as a lot of some people hoped that it would have been but he's been really good defensively he's been really good in his, his physicality at this level. Um, so there are some positives to take away, but offensively, I don't think we've seen the positives that we'd likely kind of hope that he would be producing out right now, specifically, you know, playing on the top line before Lane Peterson was called up. That's where Pod Colson was playing with. And Peterson was just scoring like crazy. You know, he's playing with Phil DiGiuseppe, who I mentioned earlier is just, you know, an elite level AHL player. Um, so, so you want to probably see a little bit more points before he even starts to get that call up because, Right now, I don't think he's played so well in the AHL that you're saying, oh, now he's got the confidence to be a top six player again. Like, he's just not there yet. I think his development's going to take a little bit more time in the AHL here. Chris, it, it feels like right now the Canucks view what's going on in Abbotsford as a, a, a better development environment, perhaps, for, for some of these players. Um, how scary is that for an organization that's obviously invested a ton in player development personnel and, and really build that as a core part of their plan going forward. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be a part of the development, right? If you can use your AHL team to be uh, a big piece of develop development, that's big, but it is pretty unfortunate that you can't find a spot in the lineup for these guys consistently. And, and that's where we're at. And maybe it's kind of done, you know, a little bit bass backwards with what you were seeing with these players' development. They've come in as, you know, teenagers or 20-year-olds and been put into these high roles and had some success, right? Like, Hugliner had a really good rookie season. Pod Colson had a really good rookie season. Was that the best thing for the development? Like, not necessarily from what we saw at the NHL level and what we're seeing today at the NHL level. And I think that could bring up some questions about what you're doing with development once they're there at the NHL. And, and that's that's a worry, right? Like, if these players aren't having some sort of progression, and I know the progression isn't linear, you, you're going to see ups, you're going to see downs, but it, it feels like we're talking about not a steady incline when you look at it from a broader perspective. You're looking at players kind of top out at a certain level or, you know, I think in Hugliner's case, fall off quite a bit when we've seen at the NHL and his NHL play. So... Uh, I, I would like to see these guys, you, you know, this organization utilize the Abbotsford Canucks a little bit more. And, and it's something where, listen, if the Canucks needed Vasily Pod Colson to play, aside from being in a roster freeze right now, but like if they needed Pod Colson to come in and play third line minutes on the wing, say tomorrow, if we weren't in a roster freeze, mm. unfortunately, but they'd be able to utilize that. And, and I think the thing is, you know, pump more into the development from the AHL because that's something that a lot of really good teams are doing. I mean, for years, the Syracuse Crunch were, you know, the talk of the AHL about how they were playing with their their young players with opportunities to, you know, have success, be on a winning team, like put 
put the players in situations where like Pod Colson is playing with two really good AHLers. Like that's good. That's really good for him to be in a situation where he is feeling confident, scoring goals, winning games, and being a big piece of it because he's on the top line with two really good AHLers. Like that that can be used the right way, but I do worry a little bit about what actually happens when these players get to the NHL. And I I, I can't think that what's going on in that locker room right now is good as well for, for players that are trying to learn their way around the league. I mean, this is a much better spot mentally for Vasily Pod Colson and, and Niels Huglander to be right now playing in the AHL. I think it's a spot where they're looked at as players that need to be leaders. And, and that's great for young players. These, these kids are... You know, 22 years old, it's putting them in a situation where they have to be a leader. I love that. I think that's a great challenging thing for a young player. And that wasn't happening at the NHL level. These kids are still young. They're not close to hitting their peak yet. Let them be a leader. That That's great. That's really good for a player to learn. So, I mean, utilize what you have at the AHL because it wasn't being utilized at the NHL for these young guys. In conversation with Chris Faber of Canucks Army and the Canucks Conversation podcast here on Halford & Bruff Sportsnet, 650 and you know I thought the Jeremy Colleton hire was really interesting before the season now you look at it and a bunch of players that we probably would have anticipated being in the NHL right starting with Jack Rathbone and now Pod Colson and Hoaglander are down there and Colleton's role becomes even more important as the AHL head coach what has your sense of the job Jeremy Colleton's done been so far favor yeah I think um if you're looking at the way they're playing of late, you're really liking what he's doing. And, you know, one of the players I've asked him about probably have, you know, every post game I've asked about <laughs> Danila Klimovich yep. and, and kind of bugged him about it. And throughout the whole time, like he, I think I even mentioned it to him last time. He must be getting tired of me asking about, it. he says, no, I like it. I like the, the challenge of, of dealing with a player like Klimovich who listen, he was healthy scratch five times, right? That's, that's not great for development. It feels like, but what can I say about that not being great if if I hear from the agent that they have a plan that they're happy with and I hear from the team that they have a plan that they're happy with and now he's got eight points in his last nine games. Like that that's good, right? Like you're starting to see that player actually have a little bit of success. And I mean, Carlton came in and, and I thought there was a lot of questionable things at the start of the year with the lineup, but it, it's hard to question what they're doing right now where young players are, you know, being used throughout the lineup and they're having a lot of success right now. So there's still some things that, you know, you'd love to see a little bit more of like, you know, Jet Wu hasn't progressed a ton. Um, some of these young players haven't really taken that, that big step, but you know, to come in and have so many, you know, young AHLers in this lineup, like, you know, Chase Waters was a rookie last year. Bain, Baines is a rookie this year. Tristan Nielsen was a rookie last year. Like these, these are still pretty young AHL players that are being used in really good situations right now that, uh, I think you have to give a tip of the tip of the hat to the co- to the coach right now. I mean, he's he's got these guys going in the right direction, um, and you know, I, I guess I'll have to start not questioning his uh, his plan so much because a lot of these things have worked out with some of these younger players to this point. Danila Klimovich remains a fascinating player development experiment in in so many ways. Um, what's been the key in his play? stabilizing taking off a little bit over the course of the past few weeks fabes uh he is doing exactly what i would love jonathan lecare Mackey to do and that is not be the guy who needs to be shooting the puck always he he needs to go get the puck right like that's what lecare Mackey really struggles with is he likes to float you know in this in the slot and wait for the puck to come to him and klimovich did that 
a ton. He still does it a ton. He's just done it a little bit less now. He's actually going in there and, you know, hitting guys, using that big body. He's got such a long reach. Like when he actually does go in on a four check and and is committed to being like, hey, I, I'm I'm four checking here. I'm not waiting for a shot. Like you need to four check. You need to be able to you know, get into passing lanes as his team's trying to break out the puck. You shouldn't always be kind of cheating, right? Like for a long time, and we still see it. I'm not saying it's completely out of his game. We still see it, but he's doing it much less now, just cheating and looking like he needs to be the player who just needs to be on that line to shoot the puck. It's like, no, you got to go out there and forecheck, man. You got to go out and get the puck in the corners. You got to get a cycle going with with Archie Baines, who he's looked like he's had a lot of chemistry with so far this season. Uh, and Baines is just such a smart player that like those two work together because man, like Baines, you know, carries the intelligence on that line and is able to have Klimovich be set up for those shooting positions once he's there. But things are really happening for him because he's moving his feet. He's forechecking uh, and he's not he's not just kind of, you know, being like Ovechkin on a power play and just rotating around this one spot waiting for the puck to come to him. He's, he's going out there and taking the puck. And um, it's been damn impressive over the last eight game stretch. The whatever amount of games he had before that, you know, 12 or so it was not good. Like he did not have a good start to the season. He was not doing the things that I just mentioned that I liked. He was floating. He was waiting for the puck to come to him. But ever since pod Colson's joined the AHL team down there, like Klimovich has looked like he should never be healthy scratch. Like that's what he's looked like ever since pod Colson has got there. It's just, he's looked so much better and he's still just 19 years old. Like very happy to watch him play over the last eight games and be actually engaged. It's been Great to see from from the young kid there. Hey, Faber, you mentioned uh, Jonathan LeCaramacchi, and obviously a lot of questions about his health with the World Juniors coming up here in just a matter of days. What's the latest you're hearing about his status? And if he is able to play, what kind of role uh, would you expect him to have with Team Sweden at the event? Yeah, so he's been skating for over a week now. Um, he did skate with his Al Svenskin team before he came over here uh, last Monday, Tuesday and I believe Wednesday before traveling. Uh, now he's already here. He's practicing with Sweden. He's working out with Sweden. Um, I, I I hope he's going to play. Like, obviously, with a concussion, it's one thing that's different from practicing and playing a game. We've seen that with Travis Dermott, who, you know, did play last night, and that was great to see. But I, I hope LeCarrie Mackey's back in the lineup, and I hope that he's healthy enough to play in these games. And if he is, he's a player that's absolutely going to be in their top nine. Uh, he's going to have a couple more opportunities at this tournament anyways, but uh, it, it is, you know, it's a spot where there's some expectations for him to be a top six player, uh, even, you know, big time after what he did in the summer tournament, he needs to have a bounce back here. He did not have a great summer tournament and you could blame mono, I guess, for that one. Uh, I know Bruff doesn't like to at all, but uh, I mean, that one was a little fresh off mono. So uh, I'll give him a little bit of a break there, but he's had some time to recover from that. So there's a lot of expectations for him to put up points on the power play. That's that's a spot where he'll really be relied upon to do something. So expect some power play time from him. Expect him as a top nine player. Um, he's a guy who's going to be in the lineup every night for Sweden unless he really struggles like he did at the summer camp. And he might because he hasn't played hockey in a long time. He hasn't played since the end of November. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he starts this tournament. He's got to start off with some points and some scoring and a little bit of confidence because he doesn't really have that or have done any of that in the Alsvenskin this season. Faber, this was uh, this was great. The enthusiasm is it's a pick me up. I, ho- I hope the Abbotsford Canucks give you more to smile about tonight as well, man. 
oh, I'm going to enjoy it. I might even <laughs> drive out there tonight. I'm not sure about oh, the roads. Yeah. And this is on, like, if I'm being honest, these hits that I do in the morning show here, and, like, I'm never getting more than, like, five hours of sleep for these. And last night I had a nosebleed until, like, four in the morning, <laughs> and it wouldn't stop. So, then like, now I'm on four hours of sleep. But I just felt so good. I just wanted to come here with good energy, and it's been a great hit, guys. I'm in such a good mood today. <laughs> I love it. I love the energy, buddy. He's never uh, liked this with Halford and Bruff, yeah, by the way. No, say. obviously. <laughs> also, I didn't realize that Bruff like doesn't respect mono as a condition. <laughs> oh, he hates it. I, I did not realize does, that. D- does he? Does he recognize the fact that he was playing a U twenty one tournament as a as a nineteen year old as a valid excuse? No, he doesn't at all. The, because mono should make you stronger, according to Bruff. Like what? it's like it's got, it's it's like lifting weights. It's like yeah, it knocks you down for a little bit, but you build up and you're stronger after. I think that's how Bruff looks at mono. All right, I think Doctor Bruff is uh, is uh, probably not in our future. No, that's an interesting <laughs> one. Uh, get some sleep, favor. We'll talk again soon, man. Have a great holidays as well, buddy. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. That is uh, the one, the only Chris Favor, our guy from Canucks Army. And the Canucks Conversation podcast, of course, not just covering the Canucks, also locked in on the Abbotsford Canucks and Canucks prospects. And uh, Don in Penticton says, thank you for the Faber Abbey Canucks segment. Uh, Positive, insightful, a real change from the senior Canuck drama. Yeah, man. Faber sounds like he's uh, just over the moon covering the Abbotsford Canucks right now. Feel bad for him with the nosebleeds, though. Those (laughs) nosebleeds suck. And I know it's the dry air right now. It's it's really, really dry out there, folks. So, uh... I feel for you if you're getting the nose, please. He, he also lost in the uh, fantasy playoffs in the big high stakes league oh, no. that I play in um, and is surrendering his first round pick to me this upcoming year in exchange for Kyler Murray. Oof. Yeah. Tough. Oof. Tough, Tough. times. Tough times for Chris Faber. Yeah. Um, so remember, keep getting your What We Learned submissions in. There's uh, tickets to the Canucks versus Kraken on the line. You were giving away tickets to that game tomorrow to the best What We Learned submission. Include the ticket emoji in your submission as well. We'll read all of yours in the next segment and choose the best submission. Uh, But first, let's do some What We Learns for ourselves. Here we go. There's no intro. There's no intro. There is what? no intro. <laughs> you did this in the summertime, too. I was like, I bet he's going to call for an intro. Watch, it's going to happen. Isn't there an intro? There is not an Isn't intro. Isn't there an intro time with, the, uh, with the crusty, uh, oh, it's time to talk that's to the audience? That's come back from break in the next <sighs> Yeah, that's Amy, part of the music. We really should have got on the same page before coming on the air. Guys. What we learned. There's no intro. There's no <laughs> intro for what we learned. <laughs> Free tickets, boys, for me. It just really <laughs> feels. I learned, I learned it best. It just really it feels in my bones that there should be an intro for. We should for have an intro just for when you back do in the, the day. Show. There did used to be one, but it had licensed music attached to it, so we had to stop using it. Well, that's like that's surmountable. That's not well. I guess we'd never do another one. I don't know. You want Jamie. Drancer and I just to do this like acapella? What we learned? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. Unlicensed music exists. Sorry, sorry, I don't want to do an acapella. What we learned, but I'm happy to do. What happened? Do 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 do. There you go. There's your intro. That's oh. that's what happened, not what we learned. Anyways, um, yeah, I know, but my intro. I'm uh, I, I'm gonna get out of my lane a little bit here. Move off hockey, please. What we learned: Phoenix Suns sell for four billion dollars, an all-time record for an NBA franchise. More than teams like the Brooklyn Nets have sold for. More than the Houston Rockets. The Phoenix Suns. Of all teams, setting the record, uh, Matt Ishbia, former walk-on 
for Tom Izzo at uh, Michigan State University as a basketball player, buying the Phoenix Suns for $4 billion. And just a, always a good reminder that for as much as sports owners like to complain and fret about their yearly revenue and their yearly operating expenses, it's a good deal, man. It's it a right. good investment. It is a good investment to, to own a professional major sports would team. You, in this, would you rather in spend America. 11 times that and buy a social media network? That's going <laughs> to no, fail I miserably? I, I absolutely would not. <laughs> I, I've got to be honest with you. $4 billion feels light. That's because it's the Phoenix Suns. It's not even like a big market team. No, 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 no. The Phoenix Suns matter. The Phoenix Suns are a big franchise. Like, Arizona's a huge TV market. Massive. That's a They're his- not top 10 in the in the NBA. In terms of what? In terms of, like, franchises you would expect to go for money. Oh. I'm, no, they're not. Absolutely, they are. Two LA teams. Two LA Golden teams. State. Okay. Knicks, Nets, Celtics. But so I mean. What? That's six right there. The Golden State team, like, okay, so the Golden State team, that's a relatively new development. Sure. Uh, one of the great sport investments of all time, by the way. I think they were bought for under five hundred million. Yeah, it's and wild, it's like, and they're worth and like, like five billion no, but plus it, now. But it was only like two thousand fourteen. Yeah, like we're not talking about a long turnaround time, less than a decade. The Phoenix Suns matter, man. That's a big. That's a big market team. I'm Absolutely. not saying they're like the dregs of the league, but no, they're not top ten. It's one of the franchises that matters. For sure, it is. For sure, it is. They picked up an WNBA team in the deal as well. I right? saw that. Ooh, yeah. Nice, because they own that team as well. But yeah, I mean that's um. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I thought it's a big number. I thought four billion was a little light. I expected four and a half at least when the sale was first. Um, you know, when, when it became clear that the NBA was going to rather subtly or not so subtly force the server to sell. The one that surprised me was uh, so the Brooklyn Nets were sold for two point three five billion in twenty nineteen. Yeah, that's, that's not even that long ago, no, and that's, that's a steal. And that's Brooklyn. Right, that's like a team in New York, and the the Suns going for more than one point five billion more than that. So things going very well, going very well uh, in the NBA. We will take a quick break. We will get to your what we learned submissions. We'll hear the what we learned uh, intro coming back from break. Thanks for listening to Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All Star Team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. You're listening to Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. See, there we go. That's like an intro. That's like a what we learned intro. I'd say that's a drop. It makes me laugh every time. <laughs> it's a great drop. Makes me laugh. Great line. Killer. Krusty's voice. Just like he could read any. It could listen to him. I, it's the same guy who does Homer, right? But I could listen to him read like a menu and I would laugh. The voice is just so intrinsically, ridiculously hilarious uh, to me. Welcome to Halford and Bruff. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance filling in uh, for, for probably the next few days. We'll see here uh, on the morning show on Sportsnet 650. This hour of Halford and Bruff brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. And the official automotive sponsor of Halford & Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. We will get to your What We Learned submissions momentarily. But of course, of course. Look, I don't know whether if there's an intro or not, but I know 
that Laddie has a baseball, what we learned, every day. <laughs> Even on December 21st, Laddie is coming prepared with a baseball-related what we learned here. Yeah, we need a boring what we learned of the day. That would be my intro to my what we learned. But I, I think this story merits it. It's, it is December 21st, but we get a major, major story in baseball that a situation we really haven't seen before in baseball. And Carlos Correa, if you're just waking up, you might still think he's a San Francisco giant, but he actually didn't pass his physical and reneged on the deal and has now signed with the New York Mets for 12 years rather than the 13-year deal that he signed supposedly with the San Francisco Giants. So if you're a Giants fan this morning, you lost out on Aaron Judge, and now you lost out on Carlos Correa. And you're just waking up, as you said. I can only imagine being a diehard Giants fan. You know, your alarm goes at 7 a.m. or whatever, and you roll over and you check Twitter, and you're like, wait, excuse me? Like the Photoshop's (laughs) right there. He was in the jersey. He was... He was a giant, and now he's not. Well, think about how excited you are, too, like when the team you root for makes a big move, and then to wake up in the morning and be like, ah. No, that was erased. (laughs) That no longer happened. As if if it happened in a dream. Well, you know, Giants fans really haven't had much to cheer for over the course of the past decade, so you got to The other thing is... uh, Weren't the Mets already like with the competitive balance tax and everything? Wasn't it going to be like five hundred million already so before have, Carlos I, Correa? I have the number here of what they're what they're over the cap now. They're the luxury tax. Yeah, uh, they're one hundred and ten million dollars over. Go. The, they're they're going to pay that in penalties. One hundred and ten million dollars essentially. Let's go. Which Good is, for them. Which is higher than the team payrolls for the Diamondbacks, the Nationals, the Marlins, the Guardians, the Royals, the Rays, the Reds, the Pirates, the Orioles, and the A's. They're paying that. In luxury. Let's go. I love that. But you know what? You were just saying what a great investment the Golden State Warriors were in the NBA. You know what they did a lot of years? They paid a huge luxury tax bill. Last year. They They paid a massive luxury tax bill. It's almost as if investing in your team pays dividends. Investing in your asset helps it grow. Do you think any Mets fans are, oh my goodness, oh no, we're so far over the cap. Who cares? You got Carlos Correa. You made all these great moves. It's fantastic. Who cares more of it? Who cares a lick, right? I mean, and the, yeah, the uh, the Golden State Warriors this season are running eighty million north of their cap, right? And last year, seventy million. Like they had the highest salary in the NBA by twelve million plus. They had way more penalties because the team that was second, the Brooklyn Nets, had eleven million in dead cap, mm. and and Golden State had less than a million. So I mean, they ran. A huge budget, like a massive, and that's how that's how it's done. They the sa- won. The sad part about baseball is a lot of these owners just like to pocket that money and, oh, yeah. and take the luxury tax money from these richer teams and don't spend it on their payrolls like they're supposed to. The teams I just listed in MLB are, are yeah. probably the biggest offenders. Well, but, well, but, at the least, Marlins. but at least the big market teams, the teams that can afford to when they feel the time is right, can go compensate players fairly and chase something big without having to be like, oh, well... I mean, look, yeah, we have to we have no. to lose three of our fan base's favorite players because they're not our stars and they're too expensive now. And, you know, you can sign a 29 year old player and not have me come on the radio and be like, oh, man, that's an irresponsible deal. Right. Because in a, in a hard cap system, it is like it is. Right. So and, we had a would you rather in the text inbox. By all right. Way. Would you rather would you rather own an NBA or an M- NHL team? And I'm a huge basketball fan. Like, I don't know if people it's a, know. It, it was phrased as NFL team, but we can change it oh, to Oh, sorry, NHL it team. was? Yeah. Oh, well, then then an NFL team, obviously. But but I thought it was an NHL team because my mind's on yes, hockey. Yes, of course. Um, 
but the answer is the NHL team because the hard cap protects me from myself. The system rewards me replacing guys rather than paying guys. My player payroll is literally less than half of what it is in the NBA. I mean, you know, I think if you're an owner, an NHL team's one of the best things to own. Like, in in terms of the way that the system functions to protect you, to create value where the team is the product rather than the players. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. And by the way, I don't think that's good for the league. Mm. Like, I don't think it's good for the league that I look at the situation and say, man, I'd way rather that's be an like owner. That's like bulletproof in the for an owner. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like th- this system actually favors owners too much, disadvantages the players too much, disadvantages the fans too much, well, and there's, the product itself suffers. There's too many handcuffs. Yeah. Right? As you said, there's all these protections for owners, but they end up being handcuffs for the general manager. The luxury tax system in MLB is great because it's like, if you want to spend the money, go, go ahead. It, you're just gonna, it's just going to be really, really well, expensive. Yeah, but if you. you're in that spot, yeah. okay, that's fine. And I'd way rather have owners, uh, like, what is it? It's Cohen for the Mets, yeah. Steve Cohen for the Mets, than the guys running the Marlins, the, the A's owners, who all they care about is pocketing the TV revenue. They could not care less about winning games. At least it's honest, though. Yeah. At least when you do that, you have to be honest about who you are. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, we can't afford to spend like the Giants. We can't afford to spend like the Mets. This is how we operate. And then we make choices like the the A's function like an NHL team does. In the NHL, every team has to function that way. And then you get owners who probably, frankly, cannot afford to truly chase a Stanley Cup, even in some of the most passionate hockey markets, who still get to come out and be like, we're spending to the cap. With a variety of backloaded deals that we intend to trade before the <laughs> signing bonuses come. <laughs> but we're spending to the cap. And and, and, and and the league protects that. And not only protects that, accepts it. Accepts it. Offers zero protection to the fans. It's, it's truly abysmal. I honestly think it's gross. And the other thing you get, which we're hearing a lot here in Vancouver, right, is, oh, it's so difficult to make trades. Oh, sorry. My entire thing was a subtweet of the Canucks. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. But it's so difficult to make trades, right, which there's some element of truth to that. You don't have that... It, Nobody is – who's the equivalent of Bo Horvat in Major League Baseball? I don't even know, but just in terms of salary. It's not like Bo Horvat's making this huge ticket, right? He's making just over $5 million. That's not even that much of a, that big a salary, and yet it's like, oh, it's going to be tough to fit him in. I don't know if we can make that trade. Yeah. That's like a $2 million salary yeah. in MLB number. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you oh. kidding me? It's hard to trade a player with Bo Horvat's salary? That's, that's the system you want? That's bad bullpen arm money in the NHL. Like, that's bad bullpen That's like, this yeah. guy was good Off two years ago and has sucked the last yeah. two years' money. And in the NHL, it's like, you know, you're probably not going to be able to move him until closer to the deadline when more teams have yeah. the flex. Uh, yeah, you know what? It doesn't make sense. And, it's and again, I still think the players, like... When you see, what what did Stripling sign for? Was it like two years, 20, something like that? When you see Ross Stripling get paid more than Connor McDavid. like yeah, 25 that, mil is what Stripling got. So he makes more per year. Or makes right at per year, basically, is what Connor McDavid yeah. does. Okay. Like, Connor McDavid is worth, like, hundreds of millions of revenue to this league and to the Edmonton Oilers. He got a new building built in Edmonton. What's Stripling worth? Ross Stripling has never sold a ticket. No offense, like I like him. Never drew a dime. I yeah, felt, no. I felt confident watching Stripling starts this last season as a Blue Jays fan, but like no one has ever bought a ticket being like, <gasps> I'm gonna get to see Ross Stripling play. No one has ever signed a TV deal 
because they wanted to like how is this acceptable to a single player how are the nhl players not angry all the time it honestly doesn't make sense to me instead they're just making sure like the the pa can't even stop batman from reading their text messages during inquiries ridiculous honestly it i, I there we go. <laughs> Let's cut this off right here. Sorry, I just get so upset. What? What? Here's my what we my, my, what we learned. The PA needs to wake up. Oh man! All right, there we go. I was just gonna call for it. You got me. You got me, Balak. That is, of course, the dot matrix printer. So we will go to the inbox. Calling into Austin, texting what we learned. Uh, Jamie expects intros to everything. We'll never learn that what we learned does not have an intro. I will learn it. I will internalize it for the rest of the week. But if it comes to the summer and I'm filling in again, you can bet. You can bet on that first day that I'm going to wait expectantly for the What We Learned intro. I'm just going to have the Price is Right losing horn ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just do a little like a ba da ba What We Learned. <laughs> yeah, just make one up on the fly. Yeah, nice. Make one up on the fly for that me. That was good. Yeah. Uh, that little, was actually really good. A little jingle on the top. You know? uh, what We Learned, it does kind of sound like a, uh, a Price is Right game. Anyways, um, we got to give away these tickets, so we will uh, announce our winner right now, and I'm just trying to find it. I believe, yes, Hudge in Aldergrove is the winner who texts in, what we learned, the only thing that is worse run than the Vancouver Canucks is the YVR plan to deal with the snow. And I know that uh, that hits close to home for you, Drancer. I had some friends who were trying to get out of YVR with their young family yesterday. It turned into like a 12-hour nightmare ordeal with them not even leaving the city. Oh, man, it's tough times. It's tough times at YVR. I'm supposedly flying out tonight. We'll see. We'll see. Fingers best, crossed. Best of luck. Best Thank of you. Luck. Yeah, no, I'm I'm committed to doing 12 hours at the airport and adding it as ammunition for why, for next year in my arguments to my wife about why we should not travel around Christmas. I make the argument every year. Every year I lose. I've had more than a few friends cancel their Christmas. Actually, my brother as well. He was supposed to come down from Kamloops. Kokohala is not happening Oof, right now. No. He's like, yeah, I'm staying in Kamloops. Well, yeah. my, I mean, Christmas 2022, like, I had plans to visit. Um, we're visiting my wife's family. I'm already, like, the pl- the house that I was supposed to stay at, the people have COVID. So I'm already, like, scrambling. I'm already going to be sleeping on a pull-out mattress in a living room. And now I'm going to be facing this 12-hour travel day. I'm just like... Look, I'm really excited to see everybody, but it's just so tough these days to sort out Christmas. Like, I don't remember Christmas being this stressful. No. It's supposed to be relaxing, isn't it? Well, or like... <laughs> like or like festive. You're supposed to, like, run through an airport and lose your child, but, like, you're not supposed to... You're not supposed to have this happen. You're supposed to. <laughs> if Home Alone has taught us anything, <laughs> yeah. hijinks will occur. The, I remember classic Christmases of my child you know, being, being left alone <laughs> while my family's in Paris. Yeah. What childhood did you guys have? Booby yeah. trapping my home because people are trying to rob it. You know, normal childhood yeah, stuff. Joe, Joe Pesci randomly showing up at your doorstep at four in the morning. That happens to everyone, right? Murdering criminals in cold blood in <laughs> vacant New York lots. <laughs> It's true, though. If you looked at Home Alone, like, objectively, the thing that kid did to those two guys. Oh, well, especially in Home Alone 2. In Home Alone 2, he electrocutes the guy to the point where he is, like, momentarily a skeleton. Yes, you can see his skeleton. Yeah. You can see his skeleton. That's in the first one. Very serious. Christmas Eve every year. Christmas Eve every year. This is me and my wife's tradition. We watch Home Alone. We as well, yeah. We watch Home Alone on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Never a day before, never a day after. And as we watch it, as we watch it, 
every year we have the same debates and like relitigate the same arguments about whether or not this would kill the person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and it's then, true. And then and then we and then we like go around the room and like confirm like consensus pick yeah. is this person dead in real life? Did so Macaulay Culkin it just really a guy? it really yeah. drives home like how different kids see the world than adults because when I watch it as a kid, it just bounces off you. It's just cartoon violence, yeah, right? You're like, you're like, this is amazing. This is hilarious. And then you watch it as an adult. You're like, oh, my Lord. Like, oh, no. What is happening? Well, so one of our most heated arguments is like right off the hop, the very first thing that um, not Joe Pesci, but the other gentleman. Yeah. I um, Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. He, you know how he ices the stairs? Yes. And Daniel Stern falls immediately. And I'm always like. He's dead. That's the end of his story. That's yeah. the end of his story. Like, that's a brutal fall. Like. There's, yeah, no, yeah. Th- that's it. Like, that's it in real life. Yeah, a realistic that's, home alone, like, two criminals were the, brutally murdered by uh, a child. At the very least, least he's like- Joe Pesci would make it in the house. Daniel Stern's done. Well, yeah. no, because have you- And uh, this this was, like, went viral a few years ago. But the- So Joe Pesci is the one who touches the super hot uh, doorknob, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, like, the actual – somebody did, like, the scientific explanation for it to be that hot and, like, glowing like that. If you were to touch it, it would basically just be, like, spontaneous combustion. <laughs> Your hand just melts Like, you would be, like, instantly let just, not, like, let us not the forget flesh his, would be melted away. You would just be, like, boom, you're done. His head was blowtorched. That. His head was blowtorched. Right. Uh, that doesn't happen right in normal society. Like, you don't walk around, I'll go, you know, I wonder if no, my head's going to get, get blowtorched head blow today. Torched. Yeah. The the one I don't think it would kill him at least not instantly probably later but the one that is the most like viscerally upsetting for me to watch is the stepping on the nail. It's oh, like yeah, yeah deeply gross. like this is like this is not a kids Christmas movie. This is like a like indie body horror movie. <laughs> like watching this nail yeah, go David, in. It's David like, Cronenberg directed uh, the show. Uh, oh, oh my uh, gosh. Uh, Hostel alone. That may um, require a tetanus shot. <laughs> uh, uh, here's the other one: the paint can in the head. Paint can yeah. in the head. It's <laughs> not great. That decapitation would ensue. Like, come on, have you? You guys have all lifted a paint can. I thought you were like, you guys have all been hit in the head with paint <laughs> yeah, cans. Yeah, we've we've all experienced this. No, no one, no one who's ever been hit in the paint can, tethered to a string and thrown at full pace as a projectile off of a balcony. Has then later been able to say, "I once got hit by a paint can." <laughs> yeah, that's where their story ended. Uh, anyways, great yeah. movie. Sorry, great what movie. we learned. What we uh, learned. Yeah, James the Liquor Rep texts in. What we learned: there's no difference between this version of Halford and Bruff and the real one. These guys don't read the public texts either. Yeah, it's we true. got a little bit sidetracked there, as they like to do on uh, on Halford and Bruff. Uh, speaking of, you know, we gave the tickets to the comparison between the Canucks and the YVR Snow Plan. Uh, goal of game Gary texts in. He's on a similar wavelength. The Canucks are like my drive in this morning, all over the place on the ice and having trouble going uphill. That's from goal of game Gary. I hope that everyone is being safe if you are out on the roads. If you don't have to drive, if you're at all able to stay home, consider that. Because, I will yeah, say it is better. There. I, I actually made it into work today. Congratulations. Thank you. I passed a lot of people. I walked in and uh, to and from work yesterday, like a lot of people spinning out. A lot of people driving around with snow still all over the top of their car, which yeah, you shouldn't do. Don't do that. Super dangerous. 130 caught in Richmond, I think, in four Oof. hours. They said 130 people that didn't clear the windshields off. Please, and clear then, like, here's your the thing: there's off. no shame in Vancouver in not being prepared for winter, like serious winter snow driving conditions. Like, hey, you don't have the right tires. I get it. You're saving money. Totally fair. Understandable. Just stay home then. Don't be in the car. That's that's the solution. 
uh, if you're not prepared for it. The, the main streets are generally okay, but then I walked up like Scotia. You know, Scotia's one street east of Maine. Yeah. It's sort of near nearabouts where I live. I walked up with my dog to get coffee yesterday morning, well before the show. And there was like a line of four cars spun out, and one guy in a truck who had straps just pulling everybody out. I was like, "This guy's hero. this guy's neighbor of the year." What what a hero! Yeah, one one texter, Kevin McAllister, is just a young jigsaw from Saw. It's a Saw prequel set in the same universe. Hundred percent. Imagine the therapy bill for. <laughs> For, for Kevin McAllister. Fortunately, his parents could pay it, man. You yeah, see, look at that house, that man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, that guy's loaded. Except except with the year that movie that was made, that house was valued at 150 k Yeah, yeah, right? also, yeah they're yeah. going on a trip to Paris with the whole family. Yeah, they're doing just fine. Totally. Uh, Surrey Ryan texts in, what we learned, uh, in the lead-in to any depressing Canucks talk, Dodd and Drance should just have a chuckle-off. Start off on the right foot before bringing us down. That's from Surrey and Ryan. No, I would say two of the more <laughs> no sorry two, sorry Ryan two of the more distinctive some might say annoying but I'll say distinctive laughs on the station I think paired together in, in us right they, they, they stand out they stand out I, I don't know I, I don't even know that I'd call mine a laugh it's more like <laughs> distinctive a, but infectious yeah we'll, we'll a cackle it. well my my wife always said that it was like a schoolgirl gremlin my wife says it's a schoolgirl gremlin getting tickled that's what wow she says. that is. Oddly specific. Yeah. Well, because it works like. <laughs> <laughs> you just know there's somebody out there that already has that in their like Google search history. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know why I've had a, you've had a lot of um of of content. My wife was my my wife loomed large over this program for some reason today. <laughs> I'm not even gonna touch that. I, <laughs> What is happening? I'm sorry. This show is devolving into chaos. I talked about the airport. I talked about our Christmas Eve tradition and her comment on my laugh. You did. Uh, A couple about the game tomorrow. This one. What we learned. Being a longtime Canucks fan means we must realize that Jared McCann will probably have a hat trick tomorrow night. And uh, this is another one from Shooter Tutor Tyler who says, what we learned. Data-driven Drance is throwing all of the data out when it comes to the Kraken and picking the Canucks to win. I will be fading that and collecting my money after the game. That is from Shooter Tutor Tyler. Not, hey, look, not buying it. Data matters, but sometimes you got to remember, too, that like weird mental blocks matter in sports as well. Like we talked about it yesterday mm. with uh, um, Jay Fresh, as data driven as it gets. And he was like, you know, sometimes teams just bottom out. You know, yep. it's the same logic. Remember the tomorrow's game will be delayed the start time because they are raising the banner of the five one home loss record uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the game. So there's a five minute celebration banner going. When, out. And as we worked out yesterday, the Canucks have lost five games, five one at home, and they've won, they've won one, one game. So it's at, they've actually lost. They have a five and one or a one and five five and one five one record. That's deep. Yeah, that's, so that, that's uh, how five and one so deep. Wow, the Canucks are wow. Yep. Marcus and Gibson's text in, uh, the Canucks won't rebuild until Seattle beats us. So we're never rebuilding. Never. <laughs> That's the one key. The one key. Uh, Taj the Blueberry guy says, what we learned, Kevin's mom was the baller. Do we know this? Is this She was in showbiz. Fact? Everyone thinks it's the dad. How do we know she was in showbiz? I've I, seen I think this that, movie a million times. I think I that remember. is not, I think that's extra textual. Yeah, that's analysis. not canon. I don't think that's <laughs> yeah. in there. I thought Kevin's dad was like a lawyer or something. Well, it's or... Catherine O'Hara, right? 
I yeah, don't actually know yeah. if they specify what their parents do. He's I don't got, think they do. I think he's just like they don't specify. He's just like you know, like VP of sales for like a you know what I mean. Like I'm just making this up, but that's what yeah. I always imagine. Yeah, but just I don't like think some I don't think generic, in the movie. No, they don't. They don't actually say what the just parents like do some in the movie. generic businessman job. He's he goes uh, to work and he does a business basically. He, he's VP of owning a really sick Burberry coat. He goes to the business store every day. Yeah, exactly. He, puts, <laughs> he, put, he goes to the business store, does some business, and then comes home and treats his family to a life of luxury like you used to be able to do. It's really a tale, a tale for a lost time. Thanks for listening to Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com.